Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Swedes 2, Turnips 1. How football journalists at The Sun have seen it all in this podcast. We'll hear about the highs and lows of covering the beautiful game, their personal experiences and how they get their stories. I'm Rashmin Chowdhury and joining me in the studio today we have The Sun's head of sport, Sean Custis, alongside David Kidd and Andrew Dillon. Now, every show we're going to be kicking off with a quick fire question to get things rolling and you've got to answer the first thing that comes into your head. Who is the first footballer you ever interviewed, Sean? More say the first football I interviewed on a national newspaper, and he retired by then. But it was um, Malcolm McDonald. I was, I was pretty thrilled by the fact I was going to do this because he's my all-time Newcastle United hero. So I drug him up, and he says Malcolm liked to paint. He was quite notorious for liking to paint with Malcolm, and he said, "Yep, absolutely." Do you know the wine bar at the bottom of Fleet Street somewhere or other? See you in there at one o'clock. Brilliant. See Malcolm McDonald, <laughs> fantastic. Down I went. You want to paint? Yeah, I have a paint. One o'clock in the afternoon. Goodness knows how many pints later. 13, 14, 11 o'clock when we fell out of there. That was my first Ooh. interview. I thought, is this what it's like on national newspapers? <laughs> hey. Absolutely amazing. Thing was, I couldn't, I couldn't read any of my shorthand. I woke up the next morning. I couldn't remember anything he told me, really. I had to ring him back and say, could you just recount that little story about that? Like, it was a good day, though, wasn't it, son? He said, brilliant. Oh, that is fantastic. Meet your hero as well, Dave. Mm. Uh, first one, a uh, first professional player was Martin Allen at West Ham. You, you, it was sort of open house at Chapel Heath training ground in those days and Martin Allen was a was known as Mad Dog he had wild staring eyes I used to occasionally go to West Ham on the terraces and he looked terrifying and I remember meeting him and uh, he insisted on making me a cup of tea Shirley was the lady at West Ham's training ground I think he used to make the tea he insisted that he would do it himself pour pour the tea make oh. me a cup of tea and be absolutely lovely and that's, that's I think the very first football professional footballer I ever met you realise how wrong impressions you can get of, of players you know when they're on the pitch and that was that was um top those two Andy I can't unfortunately mine mine was I was a student in Bristol and uh, I was just starting out I was working as a freelance traveling back up to London to do games for haters and the old agency that sort of thing um, but Bristol City signed George Paris and George Paris I remember being growing up as a West Ham fan when I when I saw that I just thought oh that's I've got you know I'm gonna write for I was writing for a fanzine. And I just rang them up and said, look, would you like me to go down and interview George Paris? And, um, you know, again, it was old school. I just went down to the stadium, waited for him. He came out. I said, George, any chance of a quick? Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. And we had a you know, 15, 20-minute chat just standing outside the outside Ashton Gate. And, um, you know, it was the start of, a, start of my career, really, I guess. So, you know, you go back to it now. It's probably better than a lot of the things I write nowadays, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sean's You didn't agreeing. start as you meant to go on, did you? Um, so, but, it, you know, you kind of remember those names um, yeah, as the kind of the, the landmark events. Unfortunately, he never took me for 14 pints, and there's a pub right outside. <laughs> so my advice to young journalists is always find a footballer who's going to buy you a load of beer. That is great advice. Okay, so we're talking today about strikers, who I think are quite a unique breed. They need a lot of love. They need a lot of attention to get the best out of them. Who's the best striker you have ever seen? 
seen, I mean, I'd have to say covered because I've seen, mm. you know, you've seen them all playing for Real Madrid or whatever, mm. but not really covered them. In terms of journalism combined with football, it has to be Paolo Di Canio. Utter madman <laughs> in, in the most blindingly brilliant sense. You know, the goal that he scored against Wimbledon, the scissor kick volley with the cross from the right-hand side underlined his amazing talent. The goal he scored at Old Trafford in the FA Cup when Fabian Barthez stood in like, the Statue of Liberty and I was in the away end that day. I wasn't covering the match. And then there were the lows when he failed to show up at any of the kind of the, the tough Northern games. The game against Bradford at Upton Park, which finished 5-4 when he was denied three clear penalties, he claims, and sat down on the dugout, <laughs> demanded to be substituted, told Harry, I'm oh, coming off, I can't play anymore. And then he had the tug-of-war with Frank Lampard with the ball for the penalty. You'd never he, get he, that now, would you? You'd never get a player like that now. Uh, not, not to that extent. Not to that extent. Know, maybe not. I mean, I suppose, you know, Aspria and that, those were the kind of, those guys, they, they were a certain breed, it was a certain generation, but he was... Brilliant as well as that, because when you, you dealt with him off the pitch, some days he would just tell you, F off, he's not doing anything. Mm. Another day you'd just say, how are you? And then 45 minutes later, you've not had a word <laughs> yeah. in edgeways. And he once, he started he started ranting and he just said to me, he said, I am effing Paolo Di Canio. I am no effing Oxford graduate. And then he realised he swore and he, he, he went close up to my dictaphone. He went, I sorry. I sorry, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> And then there were the rumours the rumors that, that he, was going to leave, he was going to leave West Ham for Man United. I got sent up to his house in Loughton in Essex, had to camp outside there. And then he didn't go. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, I saw you, I saw you outside of my house. He said, you were outside my house. I was hiding beneath the window because he wasn't <laughs> trying to, he was trying to make it, he wasn't in. And he said, I was lying on the floor the whole time, laughing his head off. And he was telling me how when he was going to leave, he had a guy, he had a massive fish tank. And he had a guy came in to clean it, and the guy happened to be a West Ham season ticket holder. And he said, I said, well, what made you stay? He said, the man who cleaned my fish tank, he said to me, he said, if you effing leave for Man United, he said, I'm going to kill your fish. <laughs> <laughs> sleep with the fishes. Yeah, he said, yeah, sleep Fantastic. with the fishes. He said, so I couldn't leave after that. Um, and it was just glorious what a ball. Character. The whole lot yeah. of it. Um, just and those, you know, and that's him. Is that actually him? That, that or did he put it on? West Ham because we had that. That that was the what the, the yeah. club was like. That was in the days of yeah. um, when you Sean could and I had up this to the thing. Canio, this... couldn't you, and just get a back page leader? For yeah, the park, yeah. And you could wander in, and he would, uh, <laughs> yeah, he would just go off on one, and yeah. so colourful. And you know, as he proved in his managerial career by fighting with one of his own players in the tunnel, <laughs> yeah. he was just, just brilliant. I have to go for Henri um, in terms of Premier League players that I've seen just the, the sheer giftedness of the guy and I just one match that always sticks out for me was during the Invincibles season although it wasn't actually a cup game they won 5-0 at Portsmouth I think in the mm. quarter final of the cup and the whole of Fratton Park when he was substituted at five, they're 5-0 down their team Portsmouth in, in a cup quarter final and Omri in particular has played them off the park and the whole of Fratton Park rose to give him a standing ovation as he went off. I've never seen that at an English mm. football ground before. Sort of thing you might see at the cricket if an opposition player scores 100, you yeah. might see it often, but at football, such a partisan game, big match, that just brought it home to you quite how special that team were and that player in particular, yeah. Henri. Um, he wasn't always the easiest person to deal with off the field and we've talked about that before, mm. but um, but as a footballer, he was, was wonderfully, wonderfully gifted. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Dave there. I think he's the greatest striker to Henri I've ever seen in the Premier League. I mean, we 
we get used to covering a lot of great players. So having watched Messi, having covered games with Messi, Ronaldo, it's difficult to get away with it. But if it's your team, I was saying earlier, Mark McDonald's mm. my all-time hero, but the person I saw consistently most of all was Shearer in, in over a period of time playing for Newcastle. And he never let you down. He was consistently, even if he was having a bad day, bullying defenders, putting himself about, never went missing. Geordie's love the number nine. It's back to Jackie Milburn, all of that sort of stuff. And Shearer was just the epitome of that strike. And for him to sign for Newcastle, back to his hometown club, and then to watch the performances he's put in, it was just, it's a dream for any fan. Is there a tear in your eye here, there, there, is, there is a tear. <laughs> but, I mean, with England as well, he was a successful striker. He didn't play for long. I mean, it's 30, 30 goals in 63 caps, I think Shearer was. So it wasn't a long period of time. But again, whenever I hear about players who aren't trying, and I know he's the, he's the same, I'm trying, aren't putting it in, I always think about Shearer and think it was him as the standard bearer of a player mm. who always put it in. I think it's... I mean, I know he wasn't your kind of your classic number nine, um, sort of out and out centre forward. But Dave talks about Henri. I, Dennis Bergkamp to me, Oof. just majestic because he had. I, I was showing my son, who's a you know an avid part footballer, just some of the montages, the videos of Bergkamp, his control. Mm. You know, the long ball forward and how they control it on their instep. You know, it, it's ballet. It's yeah. and he was just yeah. unbelievable. There was a goal, the goal against the goal Newcastle, against Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> but was it luck or did he really mean yeah, it? Yeah, but. <laughs> You know, and that's why he's got a statue. The greatest individual performance I ever saw was Latan Ibrahimovic. And now that's a character. that yeah. He had everything he walked, mm. walked, taught the talk. And his four goals against England for Sweden uh, yes. in that friendly, which finished Ryan Shawcross's career in 15 minutes when he came on the sub, was just sensational. Finishing with an overhead kick from 40 yeah. yards, like which I've never seen. Walked into the press room afterwards the whole aura, he knew he was the big dog here and he had been starting. Somebody said, how many marks out of 10 would you give yourself? And, and he went, 10, and walked out. And it was like, you know, that's so slack. <laughs> and I saw him at the World Cup in Russia last year and he just walked past in the corridor and people just stand to the side of the corridor and just look at him like he's some sort of god. And he struts around like he's some yeah. sort of god as well, but just as a presence, amazing, but he could... He could produce as well. well he's, a, he's a fourth Dan in karate as well, which is why I think <laughs> most people match to the side. Yeah, he's a double, triple black belt, kind of quadruple something, Dan, whatever. Yeah, he's, he's a seriously hard Huge up. bloke, isn't he? As yeah. Well. And yeah. I thought, we, the season before he went to Man United, PSG played, he played for PSG, and they played three or four different English teams. And we seemed to keep being in the mix zone with him. And he was very much always looking out for the English papers because he wanted to go to United yeah. and he was always give us something. But and this sort of arrogant act he's got it is an act, I think, and it's quite funny and it's like quite, quite cartoonish. And you, I, I've, I found I quite liked him when I met him because I think he, he puts yeah. it on a bit. He, he knows that's the act, that's the routine. Absolutely. I'm this, I'm God, I'm, you know. Well, he's made for and, Hollywood, isn't he? It's why is that Alec Yeah, why he belongs there. Yeah, he should be on big screen, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah I interviewed him once in a flash interview after, a, mm. I think it was when he was playing for PSG. And uh, and he turned. Basically, the UEFA said to me, "Look, we, he is coming." I thought, "Is he?" I mean, it was really, really late. He was one of, the, one of the last people out, and then he turned up. And I think I was doing something at the time, and I looked up, and I thought, "God, he's huge. He's really tall." So I made the mistake of saying something like, "Oh, you're bigger than I thought you'd be." <laughs> Just the, the worst kind of phrase I could have used, but he knew what I meant. And I said, "God, you're bigger than I thought you'd be." And he said, "Maybe it's because your TV is too smaller." And he looked at the TV and because it was really small. I thought, "Oh, you are quite funny. You're actually you actually have something about you, and that is why he is who he is." Um, is he the most outrageous 
you would say? Oh, the strikers, given that they, they have that personality where they want to stand out, they want to be the hero. Does but, but, I mean, Ronaldo's got that flamboyance. Mm. I mean, the, you know, the stroke. Yeah. But if you can do it... Flaunt it. <laughs> flaunt it with the flamboyance. It's great. People who lap that up all day, I suppose it's the flamboyant ones who can't do it, which you'd, mm. you'd have the laugh mm. about. Mm. And are there some that have surprised you that, you know, you think they can do these amazing things on... On the pitch, but then you meet well, uh, them, and actually they're they're just little puppies. I could go back again to my Newcastle United supporting <laughs> days, but I remember when we signed a guy called Rob McDonald for Newcastle, and of course he's McDonald, and he was wearing number nine, and he was he sort of looked the part, and he was up there with the worst strikers we had, but we were calling him Super Mac for about <laughs> a game, one game, a one game, game and a half. <laughs> and he was it. unfortunate to have the name MacDonald. It was it really didn't suit him. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> West Ham had a guy, they signed a, a striker called Mike Small. Do you remember uh, Mike, Mike Small? Mike you guys Small. Are, yeah? He was the most offside player I've ever seen. <laughs> Always offside. <laughs> he was a big, powerful guy and he had a good start and then the story emerged which was ultimately his downfall that he had a clause in his contract of a you know massive pay rise when he gets his first England cap and of course <laughs> as soon as that story you know surfaces that was the last you ever saw of Mike Small and he kind of came and went fizzled his star burned very brightly but very mm. quickly seen plenty of poor strikers over the over the years quite a few <laughs> of them at Chelsea recently actually they've not um, they've struggled in recent years you know you met um, Alexandra Mitrovic did he? Yeah, he was one. Surprise you in terms of yeah, his personality? He, yeah, definitely a, a real pussycat, actually. And I, I thought he'd be terrifying. And mm. he looks it on the on the field, full of my team, and my he's my son's hero. You know, he literally you know gives it when he scores a goal, a sort of this this sort of muscle man biceps kind of thing. Um, and and I and, and I thought Serbian bloke, scary voice. He did have a quite scary voice, but quite a, quite a low, quiet, whispering mm. voice, but abs- absolutely <laughs> lovely man. And I, I was really, really, um, I really struggled to believe that, but he, he, he is, when you see him on the pitch, you, you wouldn't think so. My other Fulham one was my own uh, boyhood hero. Um, they always say, don't meet your heroes, but I've got very low-key heroes, so they actually turned out. To, <laughs> I, I like. I supported Fulham in the third division. I like obscure indie bands, so all my heroes are very normal, normal broke yes. generally, not, not got any money. <laughs> and when I first started at the Sun in the nineties, myself and a colleague Charlie Wyatt had to do uh, a "Where Are They Now" piece, which were, were good in those days because ex-players of that era didn't have any money, and they usually had an interesting job, an actual, you know, proper normal day job. Um, my hero was Gordon Davis, who was Fulham's all-time leading goal scorer. Um, and he turned out he was a rent-a-kill man, and he he go that was his that was his job. He was going around killing pests, <laughs> pest control. And I and I met him in a little chef outside Leighton Buzzard in the most unglamorous setting yeah, ever and it was the happiest day of my working life <laughs> and uh, because he was such what a lovely lovely man <laughs> and I said to him like who was your toughest opponent which is mm. a pretty standard question you ask a player he said Graham Roberts of Tottenham he was known as a renowned hard man centre half uh, I said and who's your toughest opponent these days in your job he said well I'd have to say cockroaches you know <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there having a cup of tea with my hero uh, in, in a little chef and it's just one of those surreal moments and I said so okay Gordon uh, Ivor as he was always known um, Ivor I said so now I need you to compare 
Graham Roberts and a cockroach and he gave me a lengthy answer saying I'd have to go for cockroaches at least you knew where Graham Roberts always was he was right up your backside yeah. whereas the cockroaches <laughs> are always under the floorboards you can never find them and, and it was just it was that was my favourite answer to a question I've ever had and that was 20 odd years ago <laughs> amazing you know someone who doesn't look like a striker is, but my dad always says he just does not look like a footballer Peter Crouch Peter yeah. Crouch well I was about to say Peter I've got a great Crouch story of Peter Crouch yeah, I mean he's the, the book just I mean I was I mean, actually it. laughing out loud <laughs> it was when he was just starting out and we found out that his teammates called him Rodders because he looked he had the <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. curtain hairstyle <laughs> like you know the hapless dopey brother in the the sitcom and at the time my girlfriend who's now my beloved wife um, with whom I've never had a row <laughs> she, she was living in Tootin and by pure chance, at the end of her road was a Robin Reliant showroom. Mm. And they had one out front, and it had Trotter's Independent Traders, and it was the same, it was exactly the same. How random. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I put the two together, and I said to the office, I said, come on, look, let's, let's get it up there. Let's, let's get it to Loftus Road. So they were bang up for it, and so was Jerry Francis. We pulled Peter Crouch out, and we got him sitting, there was a kind of a car park around the back of, I don't know if it was South Africa Road, wherever, but we got him sitting kind of half in, half out, and the photographer was brilliant because he got the background, two tower blocks that looked like Nelson Mandela yeah, yeah. House, <laughs> <laughs> and it looked bang on, and we got it, and we got the snap, and he played up to it, and uh, I mean, if you think about it, it's not much of a story, it's kind of a one-fact story. <laughs> I was thinking of the, in, you know, the way into it, the intro, and I just wrote that, you know, Peter Crouch was really chuffed when his mates at QBR told him he looked like a famous TV star, but his ego came crashing down (laughs) when he realised it was Rodney Trotter. And he still mentions it to this day. He signed a copy of the book and put on it to Andy, thanks for years of ribbing in dressing rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ever see him now when he goes on telly, he was on Graham Norton a few months ago and he pulled out that photo. He was a great guy because at Tottenham, do you remember the horrific, I think it was the the riots and uh, there was a... Barber's shop had been gutted by fire. 2011. Yeah, the must London have been, yeah. yeah. There was an article in the Tottenham programme which showed there was an old man's barber's shop had been burnt to a crisp. Peter Crouch went there and had a haircut and they had a picture of the old boy cutting his hair um, to kind of give it a bit of a pump. And, and I saw him afterwards. I said, oh, I love that picture of you in the barber's shop with the old boy. And he just looked at me and he said... Yeah, he said it was all very well. He said, but I had to go straight from there and have my hair cut again because the old boy did such a bad job. <laughs> yeah, and then I had to go and find a proper hairdresser shop to go and have a proper job done. But really lovely fellow. He was great value to deal with, always yeah. crouch. I mean, if you remember when he was first picked by England, I think I seem to remember people laughing that mm. he was picked by England, that, all right, he had a good goal scoring, but he moved around from club to club, never stayed any. Yeah. I mean, and he laughed about the fact he'd been picked for England at first. He would play up to it. Of course, he did the robot and all that. And he understood that people thought he shouldn't belong there. Yet, he proved time and again, yeah. uh, it was 20-odd goals in 40 games for England. He scored a sort of half-overhead kick, I'll never forget, against Macedonia. 1-1-0, really tough game. And it was there that I, I really thought, you know what, when the when it's muck and nettles and all Crouch really is a man for the job. And he was, and he proved himself time and time again. Scored a lot of great goals, didn't he? As oh. well, the one that, uh, for Stoke against Man City, I think it was goal of the season a few years ago, later on in his career. He, you know, for a big fella, he, he had great, great technique and terrific football. And always literally one of the nicest guys. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there was an excerpt in his book as well. I think, it, I think it's Roy Keane. I can't be 100% sure. But he said when he first started earning big money, 
He'd been and bought oh, it, really, it was Roy Keane. Yeah, it's really brilliant. flashy. Yeah. It's an Aston Martin or something. I can't remember, but it was something very flashy. And he was driving flashy. along, he pulls up at some lights, and then Roy Keane just pulls up alongside him, looks at him and gives him this death stare as if to say, what do you think you're doing in that car? And I took it back yeah. the next day. He lost a load of money <laughs> yeah, on it as well, didn't he? Because Roy Keane just suddenly made him feel, just gave him a look. Oh, I'm a real mug. <laughs> it was the way he wrote it. It was something like, you know, there I was thinking, I'm, I've made it, look mm. at me. And, and he thought... Roy Keane would give him the look of, oh yeah, yeah, we look at us both, and it, it wasn't. It was just sheer disgust. And um, speaking of lanky blokes, no, Quinn, you've had a I, I, I like few a nice, with him, I like a, a, a nice guy striker, and Niall Quinn's one of the top blokes you would ever deal with. Um, when I first moved to Manchester, he happened to be staying in the same hotel as me. Uh, when I first moved up there in the days when papers would put you up in hotels for a few months if you were moving jobs and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, and he was welcoming. He played. He was Man City striker at the time. Mm. It was a bit much a Man United hotel. And f- from that moment, he asked. You know, he would talk about what I did, how life was going for him. And every time I bumped into him, he would acknowledge you and all that. But we were on holiday in Florida, and we were in uh, one of the outlet centres. Uh, I was with my wife and kids, and we just walked out the door, coming straight towards us, Niall Quinn. <laughs> and the first thing he says, he goes. Hello, Sean, do you know where I can get any underpants? <laughs> it didn't strike me as at all bizarre that he'd run into me in Florida. He was just in a hurry. I've got to get some underpants. Do you know where they are? See you later. I walked off to the end of that. You think, really? Doesn't it seem a bit weird that we've just bumped into each other? Ian Wright, he's always quite a spark, isn't he? What's, it, what's he like um, to interview? We had him as a columnist, didn't we? We did and have him was... as a columnist. Yeah. His enthusiasm never changed. Mm. If you remember when he was a player, he was... He'd get himself into a lot of mm. scrapes. Um, and at, at his height, when he was getting into a lot of scrapes, the FA made him an ambassador. I remember us doing a front-page story on the express pullout as well as then, absolutely hammering the FA for the fact Ian Wright was an ambassador because he was really notorious for being a bad lad. If you think about him now, I can't think of a more popular ex-footballer. Mm. You could take him into Tottenham... And people would still love him. And there's very, very few players who can do that. He loves, he loves life. He loves talking about all different aspects of life. He's a a, a just engaging character. You see him when we've taken him out on the road with the sun when he talks to fans. Took him to Mm. uh, Newcastle once for a talk in show with Shearer. They they chanted him, chanted him in. Ian, (laughs) right, right, right. And there wasn't an Arsenal fan in the building. Mm. Just. Amazing, charismatic. There was also um, my wife's a teacher, and she showed me. I can't remember if it was on the mainstream TV or where it was, but they showed he was introduced to his old teacher, the teacher that saved him. You know, put him on the right, mm, got him into yes. football, and got him back on the right track when he was a teenager. And it must have been a few years ago. And I'm sure it was at Highbury when it was still up. And he's just sitting there in the press box. All of a sudden, this old boy just comes around the corner and just says, hello, Ian. He turns around, he takes about five seconds and then he realises who it is and he says, Mr. Whoever. And next thing you know, the tears yeah. just streaming wow. down his face, absolutely crying buckets um, with this and grabbing him and hugging him. He, you know, he really is, um, as Sean says, just, uh, you know, there's there's so much warmth and you... If you're in a bad mood, you ring Ian Wright because he, he puts you back on track, you know? It's- and he's a, as, as a pundit, it's strange. There's a lot of pundits who, if they make a mistake, they get absolutely hammered on social media. If Wrighty makes a mistake, say with a factor or something, it's almost a badge of honour. Everybody's like, oh, that's just Wrighty, Wrighty. hilarious. Yeah. You get some of the other pundits yeah, doing it, they true. get absolutely sorted. He can get 
others will tell you. He can get away with everything, yeah. come out of it with a smile. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Who's kind of not lived up to the... Well, Andre Shevchenko, who came to Chelsea in a... In a blaze of glory, Abramovich mm. signing big money, a European footballer of the year, yeah. lauded all over the world, really, as a as a strike. And so he comes to Chelsea. You think he's, and he got off to a pretty difficult start. So his agent, who I knew, we were talking for a bit, and it was suggested that a couple of us should go and see Andrei Shevchenko to to you know help. Get the Chelsea fans on side. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. So, uh, myself and Matt Dickinson from the Times went to um, went to see him, and I've just recently been to the PGA Championship, the golf at Wentworth. So this is why it comes to mind particularly. And Shevchenko had the most magnificent house by the side of the fairway mm. at Wentworth. Nice. And you go down the drive, you walk into Andrei Shevchenko's house, and on a shelf, no word of a lie, on the right hand side, is the European footballer of the year ball there. <laughs> so we sit down, we talk to Andrei Shevchenko there, there's a European footballer of the year ball there. And, Just in case anyone had and forgotten. And at that <laughs> moment, his, I think she's a Ukrainian model, wife walks through the door with bags from, say, Bulgari and Harrods, smiles at us all, and it's the classic George Beds moment where we say Shevchenko, so... Why is it all going wrong then, Andre? <laughs> and it was that absolute, you know, the George Best moment. Yeah. With the, the and it really was ludicrous. And he, he did say, this is just a blip in my life, you mm. know, without almost saying, look at this, lads. He was a very, he seemed to be a very happy man. Yes, he did go through traumatic times at mm. Chelsea. But how could he really complain about the fact that this is this is the life he had i mean look nobody wants to be hammered he was able to live with it he was still mm. a hero in ukraine as a footballer still a european and, I th- and he's a european footballer of the year mm. so in the end i think he probably did all right did you ever speak to torres when he was at chelsea because that was another one uh, going through a bad time at chelsea yeah actually i remember him signing he, he did a big did unveiling one. press yeah. conference and I think he had something like you'll never walk alone tattooed on the inside of his arm or something like that. <laughs> did he? And I just read his book. Uh, uh, he'd done a book about life at Liverpool oh, and right. how, how you know, he'd 
that was the only club for him and how that is why he got the tattoo. And so, and, and I asked him about it and said, well, how does that square then? And it was, not, it was one of those classics that was shut down by him and press officer, don't yeah. want to talk about that, move on, let's have some sensible questions. <laughs> which I thought was a legit question, I've got so to say. I think very legit. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, there's been a few Chelsea strikers that haven't really lived up to the billing, haven't they? Mm. Um, Costa... I mean, Costa lived up to the billing for what he was. Mm. I mean, he was he was Chelsea's Di Canio, really, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. Um, still uh, Atleti's Di Canio, now he's gone back. So. Um, some of the you know some of the stories I heard of, it, it emerged. He was coming. He was renting a another player's house in Oxshot in Surrey, and it turns out that he had a full blown nightclub in oh. the back of the back of his house. Yeah, because he had, he was like a lot of the players these days into DJing and stuff like that. Yeah. But he didn't just have two decks. He had smoke machines <laughs> and lights really? and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he quite liked the lifestyle, you know, which is why there were all the problems about him coming back overweight and then yeah. the pictures of him when he went, when he legged it back to Brazil and there were pictures of him stuffing his face and stuff like that. He was one of those, in a way, like Ian Wright, he got away with it because he was he was in people's faces mm. and he was, you know, he was, he he was getting at people. He kind of didn't pretend to be anything he's not. Absolutely right, well, absolutely. And I think yeah. that's yeah. quite special. Whereas I suppose with Torres, people found him very difficult because he, he sort of wore his heart on his sleeve and you could see that he was yeah, going through was. Yeah. a bad time yeah. and that he, he, yeah. he really hated it. You've seen the joy when he was playing for Liverpool. I remember yeah. some amazing games yeah. when he was playing for Liverpool. And the thing that always sticks in my mind about Torres was the uh, Champions League final with Chelsea yeah. won when he was on the bench and he really wasn't happy about it. Yeah. And he got on, I think, late in this extra time maybe or something uh, and he couldn't so he found it really hard to celebrate he sort mm. of edged towards mm. it and, and then he started going absolutely mad and jumping around with everybody but you, you knew he was uncomfortable with it that he never felt right at Chelsea from from the start like Alvaro Morata mm. who yes. was totally yes. cost yes. very similar so, yeah. and the problem with him he was having a hard time and he he made the mistake of giving an interview in um, Spain not long after he arrived, in which he said, I don't really see myself staying in London too long, <laughs> thinking it wouldn't Oops. get back here or yeah. whatever. Ah, so mistranslation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think it's going to get back. <laughs> so we all jump said. on it. We've never heard of the internet, isn't it? Yeah, we all jump on it and we're, you know, we're asking him about it because it was a Champions League game the, the next day. And we, were in, we were in Italy at the time and, uh, of course, it's all played down and that sort of stuff. Mm. But he grew steadily more and more unhappy but he went into a sulk because he forgot. He did, yeah. It must have been. It was must have been Conte who said, um, you know, he he brings rain into your life. He's, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> it's always raining for Alvaro Morata because Costa didn't like the weather. He hated it. Uh. He didn't like the rain. Couldn't stand it. Couldn't wait to get back to Madrid or wherever. But he didn't let it affect. I, I saw him at training it, yeah. grounds, Costa. Sometimes you know, you're hanging around. He'd come out and he'd be chatting mm. to the people on the reception desk, and he, he knew, all right, this isn't great, but I'm earning fortunes. I'm doing a great job. I'm going to make the most of this. Uh, Maratta just went steadily more and more into a, a sulk. Mm. And when you tried to get him after, I had, a, I had a minor altercation with him outside at Southampton once when I tried to get him. And he was walking past two or three times trying to find where to put his kit in the coach. Each time he came past, he said, come on, Alvaro. Come on. And I said to him, come on, I'll make you a star. 
and um, he just kind of what 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 and he never saw the funny side yeah, of it yeah. much like I had the same thing with Jamie Carragher once he called me a scally when I said he refused to talk to me and I said come on Jamie I'll make you a star and he called me a scally um, but Maratta Maratta just Maratta was a funny one wasn't it Maratta looked too much of a nice no guy warmth. do you know what I mean on the pitch yeah Maratta just always seemed too much of a nice guy on the pitch and yeah. whereas Costa it was the mm, polar yeah. opposite yeah. You, yeah. I, I like a centre forward to be a, a villain on the mm-hmm. pitch and Costa yeah. was a great villain a great yeah. anti-hero yeah. great player to write about because he had he was a proper old school centre forward he wanted to wind the opposition up and get stuck in and I, I loved watching him I had no affiliation to Chelsea but I loved watching Costa there he, he, and I, I grew we, when we grew up I think every English team probably had a villain as a centre mm. forward yeah. and Billy Whitehurst is, we played for Newcastle for a while <laughs> he was a, a hero yeah. at Hull City yeah. those, plus yeah. those sort of players is, I mean Costa was a lot better player than Billy Whitehurst but he had a lot of similar attributes in the way other teams supporters hated him mm. and that's what I that's what I want in my team striker David Speed is a villain yeah yeah, David, yeah, yeah. A, a little fella but also a real wind up merchant he, I, I remember, a Craig Bellamy type wasn't yeah, he yeah, yeah. I remember doing, when we used to do the where are they now things they were only meant to be on the side of a page mm. so I got asked to do David Speedy so I got a hold of him and I said oh how are you doing David blah 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 blah, blah. next thing you know he's starting telling me I'm drinking 20 pints a day. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. This is only supposed to be 15 paragraphs. <laughs> I remember that game when I scored a goal. And before you knew it, it was a massive story. David Speedy, you know, he was he was happy to talk about it. Never, you know, he just volunteered the whole lot about, oh, my life sunk to this level, that level. And, you know, he was one of those anti-heroes mm. as well, you know, <laughs> feisty and, you know, scrappy and... You know, then, then you think afterwards the emotional toll it must take on them, you know, mm. doing that sort of mm. thing. And it wasn't just strikers. Every team had a bad lad, didn't they? Mm. Graham Roberts or, mm. you know, Roy Keynes, mm. all those. They're all, they're all disappearing now, aren't they? They're not real bad lads about. No, they're all the too polite, aren't they? Sort of need the, the bad lad to kind of drag them through yeah. the bad times sometimes. Yeah. Costa was almost the last of a dying breed. The we get to a bad lad now is a fella doing the VAR in the shed. Villains we've got in football now. Who's the surprised you who did you think would be okay but then you interviewed them and you thought oh Pulisic as I've um, mm. discussed before I was really surprised because he's got so much going for him he's a young kid on starting out on his career on the threshold of it um, and yet and there was no I couldn't see why he would be so you know standoffish mm. really can't see it there seems to be a inbuilt suspicion in there and an inbuilt kind of holding back and almost looking down on you and I hope I'm wrong I hope I'm wrong I hope he warms mm. up a bit but yeah really really could be a bad day could yeah. just be a yeah. very strange sort of character who takes a while to warm who interviewed Leroy Lita yeah that was me um, he, 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 I think he was having a really good run at Reading and I think he I think he'd scored seven goals in as many games or something like that he was in really good form and it was just go, Reading were in the Premier League and it was like okay yeah. we'll go and do he was a man of the moment and I've never seen a more miserable grumpy man in my life I'm told by someone who's a mate of mine who's coached him that he's not a bad lad I must have just caught him on a really bad day but that is one of those days when you think I've earned my money just by getting any amount of words into a paper because yeah. it was so painful yeah, yeah. I think I finished it with the words that if nice guys come last, then Leroy Elite is really, you know, a winner. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you re- rarely, when you sit down with someone one on one, do you write anything unkind about them, but it was mm. impossible not to. Yeah. He, was, he was not great. Michael Owen um, never gave you too much when he was a player, when he was an England player, whatever club he played for. He, was, he had everything knocked out of him by his agents, clearly, because as we've realised recently, there is perhaps a little bit more to him, even though, it, even if it causes quite a little controversy and I really sort of 
thought he was just brilliant when he was playing in the World Cup, as everybody did, 1998. Who can ever forget that? Just sensational. What a star we had on our hands. But again, he was quite rest, reticent to really talk about things. He went to Newcastle. Let's say it didn't go terribly well and we weren't <laughs> terribly impressed. So really? I'd written a few, I think, critical things about him. And it came to this um, event, I can't remember it, uh, Nike, Adidas, where a lot of journalists turned up and Michael Owen was the host of this on behalf of the uh, the manufacturer, manufacturers. And they'd set up a whole football skills competition for the journalists. And uh, the idea was you'd do various different football skills. Uh, and at the end of it, the prize was Michael Owen's boots from the 2006 World Cup, which obviously hadn't been used very much because um, <laughs> he got injured. And uh, so this skills competition was about keeping the ball up, um, headers, whatever. And I sort of the, the keep me uppy thing has never been me a really difficult uh, about eight in a useless but there was an a, an area where you had to kick a ball through a tyre and there was really small tyres at the end you better at that <laughs> really small tyres at the end and if you hit these these tyres it was 500 points now bear in mind you got one point for a keepy uppy mm -hmm. It, 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 you know, if you go ball through yeah, those yeah. ties, and I did it twice. You did you? I did, and it I'm was impressed. Truly, by more by luck than judgment, because I, I was way Doesn't behind. Matter, you did it. Way behind the others on the the football skills competition. So at the end of it, Michael Owen uh, had to present me with his boots. Uh, through absolute <laughs> gritted teeth. And when he did the uh, <laughs> Q&A for the sponsors afterwards, he was asked what had surprised him most in football. And he said, Sean Custis winning the football skills competition <laughs> without any doubt. <laughs> and I've, I do still have the boots and a picture of him presenting me with them. And it was probably something he really didn't want to do. I bet. Did he actually, did he muster any sort of a smile? Uh, a little bit, but it was a, it was a grimace really more than anything. <laughs> I think he wasn't best pleased. <laughs> Well, this has been Swedes to Turnips 1. Thank you, Sean, Dave and Andrew. Look forward to having you back to hear more of your stories in the near future. Before we go, a reminder to hit that subscribe button. And if you like the show, please rate and review because it does help others find the podcast. But from me, Reshmin Chowdhury, it is goodbye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.